Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we'll be reading pages 93 through 105 of The Four Crafts of the Devil's Kingdom, or The Four Crafts by Ogden Kraut. We'll be talking about lawyer craft in the last days, or in the latter days. A lot of this will have to do with what Joseph Smith had to deal with, with these uh, wicked and corrupt lawyers and uh, some stuff to do with our day as well. Living in America today with the banner of freedom flying for all the world to see and a magnificent constitution to protect us from the unrighteous powers of men and women and governments. We should be enjoying the best laws and most qualified lawyers but this is actu- but is this actually the case? The information in this in this section will try to answer that question. The restoration of the gospel could only have occurred in America as it was perhaps the only nation on earth where men could bear witness of the divine guidance and revelation and not be in fear of severe repercussions. The US Constitution was supposed to protect people in their religious rights. God selected Joseph Smith to bring about the restoration of of all of the gospel principles that have been lost because of the evil workings of priestcraft, lawyercraft, and kingcraft, or corrupt politicians. So when Joseph Smith received visions and revelations from God, he should have had civil protection of the law. Lawyers should have been eager to proclaim a higher law than civil litigation. Priests and ministers should have rejoiced to know that God had again spoken from the heavens. Doctors should have been glad to see miracles of healing and eagerly sought to enjoy such powers themselves. Politicians should have bowed their knees in thanksgiving that God had revealed the principles of his kingdom on earth once again and that they could have a part in such a wonderful theocracy. But as history has shown, the opposite was true, and those in these upper seats disbelieved and persecuted the bearer of such tidings, the prophet Joseph Smith. Perhaps his closest priesthood associates, Brigham Young, described how God increased Joseph's power and wisdom so he could have the ability to bear such tremendous responsibilities. Page 94. One thing before I say anything about uh, Brigham's quote. I don't accept Brigham as the Lord's anointed. Uh, If you don't know that by now, you need to know that now. Uh, 
um, when he claimed to get the fullness of the priesthood in the red brick store, that directly contradicts what Jesus said to Joseph Smith in section 124, where Jesus told Joseph to build a temple whereby the Father or the Most High could come to other, and that he, the Father, might restore that which was lost unto you or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. That never happened. <clears throat> it never happened. DNC section 124, starting with verse 27 and into 28, talks about that. But by the time Joseph Smith was murdered, they had just started working on the red brick store. I mean, I'm sorry. They just started working on the second story of the the temple. <clears throat> the father never came to that temple. He never came there during the life of Joseph Smith or after the life of Joseph Smith. Jesus never came to that temple. No angels ever came to that temple. And the fullness of the priesthood that Jesus said would be restored if the temple had been built, it never happened. Later on in that same section, DNC section 124, Jesus said, if you don't do these things, you'll be rejected as a church with your dead. I believe Jesus over Brigham. Brigham said that he claimed, or he claimed that Joseph Smith gave him the, the fullness of the priesthood in the red brick store, which is a problem seeing as how the temple was never finished and the father never came to restore it himself, which is what Jesus said had to happen. Jesus said if they were obedient, he would fight their battles for them, <clears throat> and, <clears throat> excuse me, and they would not be removed out of their place. But they were removed out of their place. Jesus said, if you do not do these things instead of blessings, you'll receive wrath, indignation, cursings, all these type of things. And he said, all they who hinder this work, speaking of building the temple, will be cursed to the third and fourth generation, which is up to 160 years. Joseph Smith was recorded by Lyman White in 1843 in Nauvoo as saying that the time has passed that the church has been rejected with their dead as Jesus proclaimed what happened. That was in 1843. 160 years later is when I was taken up into the presence of the Father in the flesh and given the fullness of the priesthood upon Mount Bashel. Joseph Smith said that all of the Old Testament prophets that had the fullness of the priesthood received it from the hand of God himself. And I can testify to you that is how I received it. So this is more than just a podcast for me. This is a proclamation. This is calling the people of the restoration to repentance, to turn back to the first works, and to carry on the work of Zion's redemption. Unfortunately, Isaiah saw our day, and he saw that it would be a very small remnant that would actually do these things, and that Zion would be redeemed in the desert and in the wilderness. So, <clears throat> I don't accept Brigham Young as being the Lord's anointed, but I do accept that there are many things that that he, he talked about that I I think, although they may be skewed, I still will read his quotes and I will disagree with him where I disagree with him and I will uh, commend him where he speaks truth but there's a lot of subversion there's a lot of lies there's a lot of misquotes and a lot of 
twisting of truth to try to get people to follow Brigham. But Jesus said, if you don't do these things, you'll be rejected as a church with your dead. Joseph Smith did not live to see the temple completed. The father never came to the temple. Jesus never came to the temple and no angels ever came to the temple. And the fullness of the priesthood, which is more than just the endowment, was never restored in this dispensation until it was restored to me personally upon Mount Vashel in the spring of 2003, which was after 160 years of not having the fullness among the Latter-day Saints. And in fact, Jesus said, if these things are not done, I will reject my church with their dead. Which is exactly what happened. But anywhere on page 94, <clears throat> all persons who are acquainted with this kingdom, who knew Joseph Smith from his boyhood, from the time the Lord revealed to him where the plate, plates containing the matter in the Book of Mormon were deposited from the time the first revelation was given to him and as far back as he was known, anywise whatever, in anywise whatever, as a person professing to have received a visitation from heaven, all must know that as much priestcraft as was then within the circle of the knowledge of Joseph Smith, Jr., he had to bear on his back and to lift up a lift from time to time. On the other hand, as his name spread abroad and as the principles of the gospel began to be more in, intensively taught, in the same proportion he had more to bear. The Lord began to raise him up and to endow him with wisdom and power that astonished both his friends and his foes. Did Joseph Smith rise? He did. Did his influence grow and spread far and wide? It did. Under what circumstances? Why, with all the influence and power that could possibly be arrayed against him by the priests and the people, by doctors and lawyers, judges and juries, backed up by the whole mass of the wicked world, all this he had to raise up and carry with him, Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, page 186. I just got to say something that popped into my mind as I was reading that. There are those who believe that DNC section 124 is Jesus telling Joseph that he has to come back to restore the fullness of the priesthood. But if you do a careful reading of DNC section 124, verses 27 and 28... It is Jesus that is speaking to Joseph Smith about the Most High, where he will come back and restore that which he hath taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. Now, some people believe that the fullness of the priesthood is just the Melchizedek priesthood, and I would beg to differ. The fullness of the priesthood is the second order of the Melchizedek priesthood that it might be the third uh, order of the Melchizedek priesthood, but nevertheless, the only way that you get this priesthood is that you have to be set apart, nor, uh, not set apart, but the 
the Melchizedek priesthood has to be conferred on you by a man or an angel. And once that priesthood has been conferred upon the earth, no true angel will ever confer it again because that man that work is for man to do on the earth, not for angels to do. That's part of the reason why Jesus couldn't baptize Paul on the road to Emmaus. He told him to go to Ananias because Ananias had the authority and the authority defers to man on the earth once the priesthood has been given from heaven. Joseph Smith taught that. Okay, for those of you who think that Jesus is the one that has to give it, read the Revelation word for word. Jesus is speaking to Joseph Smith of another person who he calls the Most High. Who would that be? Jesus said that the fullness of the priesthood which he hath taken away, that he must come to restore that which with he hath taken away. He's not speaking of himself. So these individuals, these Judas goats, who are trying to lead people astray by perverting the word of God, by trying to get people to agree with them that it's Jesus that has to come, read the revelation for yourself. Put away all of your previous thoughts on the subject and just look at it with a clear mind. Now that once you have done that and you realize it's not Jesus that has to restore the fullness of the priesthood because it's Jesus who is speaking to Joseph Smith about the Most High where he can come to other end, where he will restore the fullness of the priesthood. You know that this is the Father. Now, for those of you who believe that the fullness of the priesthood is the Melchizedek priesthood, please, in order to come into the presence of the Father, and it be more than just a vision, but for him to actually restore something to you, you cannot come into his physical presence unless you already have the Melchizedek priesthood. It can be a vision, it can be a dream, but... According to the Revelation, DNC section 124, the Father must come restore that which was lost unto you or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. It had not yet been restored as part of the restoration. The Melchizedek priesthood had been restored. When he says, that which he hath taken away, it's not talking about the saints, it's talking about the world. It had not yet been restored to the world. They had to get to the point where the Father could come to a temple to restore it personally, which is what DNC section 124 states. The truth of the matter is, even though the church was rejected and they did not receive hardly any revelation after that, Maybe they received inspiration, but not, no hardcore like thus saith the Lord Revelations, except for maybe a few. But, but Jesus said he would reject them as a church with their dead. And he also said, all they who hinder this work, speaking of building the temple, will be cursed to the third and fourth generation. Now, I didn't know any of that. In 95, when I saw the Father and the Son, and I was taken in the Spirit, 
to the Salt Lake City Temple. Uh, at the time I was a Baptist, I was very anti-Mormon. Jesus Christ took me into the Salt Lake Temple and he led me around, showed me a bunch of stuff, and he took me into the highest room in the middle tower on the eastern side where I went into a room that is not on any maps or diagrams, but it is there. You can see the windows for it. And I walked into that room and I felt the full power of the, of God in that room, of the Father. I knew exactly who I was in the presence of. I did not see him, but I heard his voice. And he told me that I would be the last prophet before the return of Jesus Christ. Which at the time confused me. <laughs> I mean, I knew it was... I knew this experience was overwhelming and powerful, but I did not know what to think about the whole thing. <clears throat> that was in 1995. In 96, I actually got a spiritual testimony that Joseph Smith was a true prophet. And in 97, I got my patriarchal blessing and my endowments, and I went on a mission. In my patriarchal blessing, it says that I have... Not I will, but I have been given the greatest gift that God has to bestow, the gift of eternal life. I did not understand what this meant, and I asked a stake president and the stake uh, patriarch about it. And they said, they both said, that according to this, that I have had my calling and election made sure. I did not know what that meant. I asked God many times, how is it possible that somebody like me can have these great blessings? And God told me, it's not because of who I am in this life, it's who I was before I came here. But he didn't give me more information about that. I wanted to understand what it meant to have your calling and election made sure, and I had read everything I could get my hands on about it, and still was not clear about what that even meant. And I asked God over and over and over again until 2003 when I was asking him once again and I was taken in the flesh to another place and I won't go through the full details of it because I want to, you know, get through this reading today and not go off on so many tangents. But <clears throat> I was taken upon this mountain the base of this mountain and I washed off in the creek and I felt the wind and the breeze and the cold water and it's much different than having a spiritual experience like when you're in the spirit you don't feel any of that sort of thing but I had my body with me I could feel the density of my body and I climbed this mountain and I went into this temple and I saw the father face to face in the flesh I fell down before him and he told me to arise, and I embraced him in the flesh. And he told me to kneel before him, and I asked him what he was doing, and he said, I am sealing you up unto myself, that I might, or that I might be sealed up unto eternal life. During this exchange, I also received the fullness of the priesthood and all of the keys pertaining to the kingdom and the priesthood. From 2003 to 2013, I continued to learn and grow and do much missionary work within the LDS Church. And in 2012, 
my uh, stake president asked me some questions that he did not like the answers to, and I was set to be excommunicated in January of 2013. I was very upset about this because the LDS church was my life. I had done so much work to bring people to the truth of the reality of the Prophet Joseph Smith. And I was being excommunicated for things that Brigham Young taught, which I knew were true, which the church rejects today. As I was crying and, and just asking God how this could be happening to me, and by the way, I wasn't even allowed to go to my own excommunication. But I was asking God and crying about it. I was very upset. And he came to me and he said, kneel down before me. Of course, I kneel down before him. And he says, ask me who you are. And at that point, he showed me exactly who I am. And he gave me the commission to be bold with my witness, which I was not bold before. And he told me to teach the people and he told me exactly who I am. My name, Mark Lichtenwalter, it means warrior light in the forest or light in the darkness. It's German. I am a light that the Gentiles reject. Like, there's so much. I could go on and on, but I won't. But... I am an eyewitness of the Father and the Son. And I know more about these things, and it's not because of study or speculation. It's because, it's because of direct revelation, because I am an apostle of the Father and an apostle of the Son. And to this day, I still don't understand fully why in the world I was called I know what I saw. I know what God showed me. After the war in heaven, they went among they who were mighty and strong. And there was 15 for each earth. But they comprised the Father, the Son, and the Witness, or the Holy Ghost. But they also comprise 12 that stand below them. So there's a quorum of 15, just like in the LDS Church. There's a First Presidency. And there's 12, and then there are the noble and great ones, and they, they have the same position as the 70s on the earth. And then there's things below them, and I won't get into that. But after the rebellion of Lucifer, who was the witness, Lucifer, or in Latin, or Hillel in Hebrew, Hillel ben Shakar, it means light. It means bearer of light and truth. Lucifer was God the witness. He was chosen to be God the witness. But because of his pride and arrogance, and there's a whole lot more to that than I won't get into right now, he rebelled. He thought that he should have been chosen to be the Redeemer. He did not like the fact that Jesus was the one who was chosen. And he tried to usurp authority over the office of 
God the Redeemer, or Jesus Christ, and he was cast out. But before he was cast out, his title of God the Witness, or Hillel ben Shekhar, or Lucifer in Latin, was taken from him, and he became Hasatan, or the Satan, the accuser of the brethren. And I was chosen from the remaining who of the twelve who are mighty and strong to take the place of the witness of the Father and the Son. That is why I have seen them face to face in the flesh. That's why I have been given the fullness of the priesthood. That's why I have been given the keys. And that is why I am the last prophet before the return of Jesus Christ. I hold the position of a son of the morning, even the evening star position of authority. Which I could go into that even more, but I'm not going to because there is a lot more to read. We're only 13% into this reading today. But if you have questions about that, when we have time, there is a phone number. You can call that phone number when we're live. You know, a lot of people listen to this in podcasts. Some people listen to it live. If you hear this program live, the phone number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. And I will give you more details about what I have alluded to today. If you're out of the United States of America, the country code is zero. One one or just one one, I think is how you you call it. But that's that nine one seven eight eight nine eight eight two seven is a Manhattan, New York number. So anyway, continuing on with the reading. For example, Brigham described one particular occasion when Joseph Smith appeared before Judge Austin A. King on the charge of treason. The judge inquired of Mr. Smith, Do you believe and teach the doctrine that in the course of time the saints will possess the earth? Joseph replied that he did. Do you believe that the Lord will raise up a kingdom that will fill the whole earth and rule over all other kingdoms as the prophet Daniel has said? Yes, sir, I believe that Jesus Christ will reign king of of nations as he does king of saints write that down clerk we want to fasten upon him the charge of treason for if he believes this he must believe that the state of missouri will crumble and fall to rise no more lawyer donathan said to the judge damn it judge you had better make the bible treason and have done or have and have done with it Anyway, that's, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Does the Bible offend you, you wicked judge? Anyway, that's Journal of Discourses, Volume 9, page 331. Or on page 95 if you're reading along. Because Joseph and other early Christian leaders found it next to impossible to receive justice and fair representation in the legal system, they had to study and learn the law for themselves. Quote, we have tried for a long time to get our lawyers to draw us some petitions to the supreme judges of this state, but they utterly refused. We have examined the law and draw the petition 
and draw the petition ourselves and have obtained abundance of proof to counteract all the testimony that was against us, so that if the Supreme Judge does not grant us our liberty, he has to act without cause, contrary to honor, evidence, law, or justice, surely to please the devil, but we hope better things and trust before many days God will so order our case that we shall be set at liberty and take up our habitation with the saints. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 133 and 134. It was bad enough to have the general populace, lawyers and judges against you, but it's even worse when your own lawyers turn against you. While in Liberty Jail in 1839, Joseph Smith wrote to his brethren, quote, Oh, that we could be with you, brethren, and unbosom our feelings to you. We would tell you that we should have been liberated at the time Elder Rigdon was on writ of habeas corpus. Had not our own lawyers interpreted the law contrary to what it reads against us, and prevented us from introducing our evidence before the mock court. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 132 and 133. Under the Constitution, all citizens are equal before the law, with one apparent exception. If you were a Mormon, then anything goes, seems to be the mode of operation, throwing honesty and fairness to the wind. Joseph Smith related an interesting court experience de demonstrating the unfair legal treatment received by Mormons. We're on page 96 for those of you who are reading along. So soon as Mr. Newell Knight had been sworn by Seymour, by Mr. Seymour, preceding the interrogation, him as follows. Question. Did the prisoner, Joseph Smith Jr., cast the devil out of you? Answer, no, sir. Question, why have you not had the devil cast out of you? Answer, yes, sir. Question, and had not Joe Smith had some hand in this being done? Answer, yes, sir. Question, and did you not cast, and did he not cast him out of you? A, answer, no, sir, it was done by the power of God, and Joseph Smith was the instrument in the hands of God on the occasion. He commanded him to come out of me in the name of Jesus Christ. Question, and are you sure that it was the devil? Answer, yes, sir, I saw him. Question, did you see him after he was cast out of you? Answer, yes, sir, I saw him. Question, pray, what did he look like? Here one, here one of my lawyers informed me the witness informed the witness that he did not need to answer the question. The witness replied, "I believe I need not answer your last question, but I will do it provided I be allowed to ask you one question first, and you answer me. Do you, Mr. Seymour, understand the things of the spirit?" No, answered Mr. Seymour. I do not pretend to such big things. Well then, replied Knight, it would be of no use to, to tell you what the devil looked like, for it was a spiritual sight and spiritually discerned, and of course you would not understand it. The lawyer dropped his head while in 
whilst the la- the loud laughter of the audience proclaims his discomfiture. Mr. Seymour now addressed the court, and in a long and violent harangue, endeavored to blacken my character and bring me guilt of the, of the charges which had been brought against me. Among other things, he brought up the story of my having been a money digger, and in this manner proceeded in hopes to influence the court and people against me. Times and Seasons, Volume 4, page 61. So the Times and Seasons was a a publication uh, run by the leaders of the church at the time, Uh, Nauvoo time, that time period. Anyway, not just in this dispensation, but throughout history, the true prophets of God seem to have been oppressed by lawyers. This was possibly due to the feelings threatened the feeling threatened themselves as someone else was claiming a higher power than his, than their own, and also their peers and uh, constituents were prodding them into taking some kind of action. The Prophet Joseph Smith's case was no exception to the popular rule. We're on page 97, we're only at 35%. The people were so eager to oppose and persecute Joseph Smith that they would hire lawyers to drum up some kind of case against him and were willing to pay the legal fees themselves. Any lawyer that would be willing to defend the prophet would risk losing his own status and reputation in the community. The prejudice of the people of Montmouth was as excessive as it was blind. They employed at their own expense several attorneys to assist the prosecution and declared if there were any lawyers in the district who would even undertake to defend the prophet, they would never need look to people of that uh, county again for political favors. And that's part of the correlated history of the church, volume 2, page 79. (laughs) In the trial of Montmouth, Illinois, it was proposed that Joseph Smith and some of the church leaders be sent back to Missouri for trial. To this, one of the defense lawyers, O.H. Browning, offered an emotional and persuasive plea against such a change of venue based on the impossibility of any kind of fair trial being held for Mormons in the state of Missouri. And see, this is after the extermination order. Now, some people will say, well, the extermination order just means to exterminate from the state, which is to remove from the state. But the fact of the matter is there were people who were murdered, people who had their belongings destroyed, the homes burnt down. So uh, save your platitudes for the unrighteous and the wicked among you, because what happened in the state of Missouri was was damnable. It was an abomination. And people who would support such things against the saints of God deserve to burn in hell for all eternity. You can make all the excuses about language and try to get around it all you want. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I know what people do. I I do pay attention to uh, the ex-Mo community, the ex-Mormon community, uh, I pay attention to many different communities. I know what is being said out there. 
So I just uh, have to address some of those uh, sons and daughters of perdition. Although there are no daughters of perdition. You don't get out of it that easy, ladies. All right, but there are sons of perdition. In fact, the LDS Church is doing a really good job at making a bunch of sons of perdition right now. Anyway, um, it, you know, the, the LDS Church claims to be in order and that there's nothing wrong, but DNC Section 85 talks, Jesus tells them, tells Joseph Smith specifically that he will have to send one mighty and strong holding the scepter of power in his hands clothed with light for a covering to set in order the house of God implying it would be out of order the one mighty and strong is also mentioned in in Isaiah chapter 28 where Isaiah sees this individual going among the drunkards of Ephraim and and teaching they who have been weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast, which means they are past the milk in the ABC portion of the gospel. Now, why are they drunk? It, it even talks about the priest and the prophet of, of Ephraim in the last days being drunk. They're drunk on the spirit of Babylon the Great. These people refuse to come out of Babylon to be a Zion people, and they make all kinds of excuses as to why they are not being obedient to what God has revealed through the restoration prophet Joseph Smith. Oh, we don't have to worry about that. These Oh, that doesn't really matter. Oh, Brigham Young said some things and we don't believe him. Oh, just whatever it is, these drunkards of Ephraim refuse to be obedient to what God has revealed. And they are drunk on the spirit of Babylon the Great. And it even talks about all of their tables are full of filth and vomit. Now, what is that referring to? It, the, they look at the, the restoration as, as it was restored in its purity to Joseph Smith and the meat of the gospel as filth and vomit. They cannot stand what God has revealed. They look at it as filth and vomit. But these individuals, these drunkards of Ephraim, they, they're followers of the Restoration. They don't want to give up their place in Babylon, but they can't have the meat of the gospel and Babylon the Great. Because in so doing, they become a threat to the devil's kingdom and the devil will destroy them. So they have to either give up the meat of the gospel and the pureness of the, of the restoration. Or they have to turn their backs on the meat of the gospel. And that's why Isaiah says that all their tables are full of filth and vomit. Because they look at the meat of the gospel and the pureness of the restoration as filth and vomit as they reject those things. But but Isaiah said that the one mighty and strong would teach they who would wean from the milk and drawn from the breast. People who are ready for it. Which, in another place, it talks about the remnant or the residue of the house of Israel in the last days. And there is not a lot. It's a tenth of a tenth. 
It's not a lot, but you know what? In the days of Noah, the kingdom of God consisted of eight people. It doesn't have to be a lot. It just has to be people who will be obedient to God's law and his word. Anyway, continuing on. He, Mr. Browning, concluded his remarks by saying that to tell us to go to Missouri for a trial was adding insult to injury, and then he said, Great God, have I not seen it? Yes, my eyes have beheld the blood-stained traces of innocent women and children, and in, in the dreary winter, who had traveled hundreds of miles barefoot through frost and snow, to seek a refuge from their savage pursuers. Speaking of the Missourians. "'Twas a scene of horror sufficient to enlist the sympathy of an adamant heart. And shall this unfortunate man, whom their fury has seen proper to, to select the sacrifice, to, to select for sacrifice, be driven into such a savage land, and none dare to enlist in the cause of justice?' If there was no other voice under heaven ever to be heard in this cause, gladly I would stand alone and proudly spend my last breath in defense of an oppressed American citizen. Speaking of Joseph Smith and the leaders. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 4, page 370. We're on page 98. Obtaining the support of such a lawyer was O.H. Browning, however, was extremely difficult for the prophet since he had been so vocal in exposing and condemning the wicked practices of lawyers and the legal system. For example, quote, I will expose the iniquity of the lawyers and the wicked men. I fear not their, their wrath, nor the boiling over of hell, their thunders, nor the lightning of their forked tongue. I despise the man who will betray you with a kiss. I want to speak about the lawyers of this city. I have good feelings towards them. Nevertheless, I will reprove the lawyers and doctors. Jesus did, and every prophet has, and if I am a prophet, I shall do it. At any rate, I, at any rate, I shall do it. For I profess to be a prophet. How are we to keep peace in the city and defend our, ourselves against mobs and keep innocent blood from being shed? By striking a blow at everything that rises up in disorder. And that is the Wandel Mace autobiography transcript. I don't know where they get that from, but <clears throat> BYU uh, South, I guess. Pages 94, 95, and 100. <clears throat> so apparently that was Joseph Smith, but I don't know why the the quote couldn't go back to a uh, closer source than BYU, but whatever. One of the main causes of disorder is contention. When contention gets serious enough, a lawyer is usually hired to help restore peace and order, but instead Lawyers often cause further contention, excessively lengthen the legal proceedings, and leave their clients anything but peaceful. The Lord makes it very clear where contention comes from. I say unto you, he that hath the spirit of contention is not of me, but is of the devil, 
who is the father of contention, and he stirreth up the hearts of men to contend with anger one with another. Third Nephi chapter 11, verse 29. And we're at 50% through the reading now. The prophet Joseph Smith understood firsthand and remarked, I despise the lawyers who haggle on lawsuits. Doctrinal History of the Church, volume 6, page 238. When the saints first entered Nauvoo, Illinois, they were able to make friends and settle down peacefully, but trouble soon began again. It is interesting to note the source, sources from which it came. We're on page 99. William Draper pinpointed the cause of their persecution. I there brought bought a farm on good terms and went to improving and build me a good house and a small girth mill and put about 20 acres of land in good state of cultivation with a good fence around it and was on good terms with the neighbors, although the most of them were Gentiles. But they professed to be much pleased with my enterprise in the place, and all went on on well with me until sometime in June of uh, 1844. Then there be, then there was frequently frequent reports about Joseph from Nauvoo that produced some little excitement for priests and lawyers and apostates had combined together to again make trouble. William Draper Autobiography Transcript uh, BYU South or B, BYU-S page 20 and 21. Joseph Hovey some points, also points finger of guilt at the lawyers, judges, doctors, and statesmen as they continued their persecutions even after the martyrdom of Joseph and Hiram. Quote, At this time the court sits at Carthage and our enemies are very much frightened. The apostles are obligated to dress in disguise on account of our enemies. The murderers are having their trial for murdering Joseph and Hiram. It is supposed they will get clear for the court has neglected three of the main witnesses. Daniel, Daniel H. Wells, I believe, uh, who was an eyewitness to Joseph Smith being shot. Brackenbury and a woman witness, Miss Mr. Lambert, the state's attorney, does not does the best he can. All the lawyers and judges fight against him. Joseph Hovey's autobiography, BYU-S, I think that's South, page 31. After we had begun to realize the abundance of one of the most successful seasons known for a long time, while many hundreds of saints were laboring with extensive and unwearied diligence to finish the temple and rear the Nauvoo house. Suddenly, the forepart of September, the mob commenced burning the houses and the grain of the saints in the south part of Hancock County, page 100. Through effort, Though efforts were made by the sheriff to stay the hands of the incendiaries and parry off the deluge of arson, still a fire and sword partly continued to work the destruction for about a week. They destroyed about 200 buildings, buildings and much grain, nor is this all. 
it was sickly it was a sickly season many and many feeble persons were thrown out in the scorching rays of the sun or dampering dews of the evening and died because of the persecutions all of this in christian land of law and order while they were fleeing and dying from the mob embracing doctors lawyers and statesmen Christians of various denominations with the military from the colonel down were busily engaging in flinching and plundering, taking furniture, cattle, grain, etc. And that comes from that same BYU transcript. Um, Yeah, all of that stuff happened. And remember what Jesus said in section 124, that if they were obedient, that he would fight their battles for them and they would not be removed from their place. Jesus wasn't fooling around when he told him, if you don't do what I say, you'll be rejected as a church with your dead. And he told him what would happen. And what happened is exactly what he said would happen. And then the church and Brigham Young's like, nope, I've got the keys. I've got the authority. Everybody follow me. Well, just because everybody followed him doesn't mean he had what he said he had. Either that or Jesus is a liar. But Jesus allowed them to be persecuted. To be killed. To have great cursing and wrath come upon upon them through the wicked Gentiles. But because they were not obedient and doing what God asked them to do and building that temple. And don't give me the story about how they just had to drain the swamp because the temple was built on the bluff. Furthermore, the missionaries that went up into Wisconsin to to cut the wood that was consecrated for the building of the Nauvoo Temple, they sent the wood down on the Mississippi and it would get to Nauvoo and then they would use it for Masonic temples, Brigham Young had a, the second wing of his mansion was being built. I mean, he was in Massachusetts talking to the guy who, the the guy of the brother who owned Nauvoo before the Saints settled there. They were going to put the Transcontinental Railroad in that area. The guy who owned it was in Boston, Massachusetts. That's why Heber C. Kimball and Brigham Young were there at the time. And guess who was in the mob that killed Joseph Smith? The brother of the man who owned the land of Nauvoo. There's so much that you are never going to understand or realize until you get into the kingdom until God reveals all of the sins and all of the things that have happened and you're going to like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe. I cannot believe that I was so duped. I cannot believe that they covered all of this stuff up. But regardless of all that, if you look at the text and you realize what he said he would do for them, Jesus Christ, if they were obedient. And then look at history and see what happened. He did not fight their battles for them. They were removed from their place. 
Brigham Young never received any Thus saith the Lord revelations. Brigham claimed to have the fullness of the priesthood from Joseph Smith, but Joseph Smith never got the fullness of the priesthood from the Father, and even if he had, the fullness of the priesthood cannot be given from man to man. It cannot be given from angel to man. The fullness of the priesthood is reserved by the Father for himself to give to whom he will. And if they had been obedient, he would have come into that temple in Nauvoo that should have been finished, and he personally would have restored the fullness of the priesthood, which Jesus said would happen if they were obedient in DNC section 124. But that never happened. And Isaiah says that, that, that he saw the remnant in the last days in the highways of the top of the mountains and in the desert places, which geology does not at all refer to Missouri or Illinois. What, what Isaiah saw is south-central Utah where the remnant is going to gather and where they will hide in the highways of the top of the mountains and in the desert places, and that is where Zion will be born in the wilderness. It was not born in Missouri. It is not born in Salt Lake. The house of God being set in order has nothing to do with the churches that are in apostasy. When people develop hatred and hostility among themselves, they usually lose reason and common sense. The persecution and prosecution against the Mormons were, were the result of such enmity. When the lawyers entered the scene... They were willing to defy true, law, or true justice and the constitution of all human dignity. Many were, brought, were bought for a price. Joseph commented on this travesty. Quote, Many lawyers contend for those things which are against the rights of men, and I can only excuse them because of their ignorance. Go forth and advocate the laws and rights of the people, ye, ye lawyers, if not, don't get, get into, the, into my hands or under the lash of my tongue. Lawyers say the power of Nauvoo Charter, are, the powers of the Nauvoo Charter are dangerous. But I ask, is the Constitution of the United States and of this state dangerous? No, neither are the charters granted into the Nauvoo by the legislature of Illinois dangerous, and those who say they are, are fools. Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 166. And I would just say that if they had not come under such persecution, they would not have had to do what they did. Did Jesus not tell the saints, uh, the, the disciples? Did he not tell the, the disciples to, to sell their cloaks and to buy a sword? 
that wasn't to go out and and attack other people. That was to defend themselves. And the saints have the right to defend themselves against the prosecution and the persecution of mobs and murderers. It is commonly believed by Latter-day Saints that when a law is passed, right or wrong, it must be obeyed. On many occasions, the saints have been in a situation where they have had to make the decision as to whether to obey God's laws or man's laws. We're on page 101 at 68%. We could well use the following scripture as a guide. And now verily I say unto you, concerning the laws of the land, it is my will that it is my will that my people should observe to do all things whatsoever I command them. And the law of the land which is constitutional, supporting that principle of freedom in maintaining rights and privileges, belongs to all mankind and is justifiable before me. Therefore, I, the Lord, justify you and your brethren in of my church in befriending the law, which is the constitution, constitutional law of the land, and is pertaining to the law of men, whatsoever is more or less than this cometh of evil. Doctrine and Covenants, section 98, verses 4 through 7. Thus, the only two types of laws that God has commanded us to obey are his laws, and the constitutional law. Anything more or less than this cometh of evil. The prophet Joseph Smith instructed the people to oppose unjust or injurious laws. Quote, Shall we be such fools as to be governed by its state of Illinois laws, by its laws, speaking of the state of Illinois, which are unconstitutional No, we will make a law for gold and silver, and then the state law ceases, and we can collect our debts. Powers not delegated to the states or reserved from the the state. I'm sorry, or reserved from the states are constitutional. The Constitution acknowledges that people have all power, not reserved to itself. I am a lawyer. I am a big lawyer and comprehend heaven and hell and or heaven and earth and hell and to bring forth knowledge that shall cover up all lawyers, doctors and other big bodies. This is the doctrine of the Constitution, so help me God. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 279. I wish the lawyers who say when we when we have no powers in Nauvoo may be choked to death with his own words. Don't employ lawyers or pay them money for their knowledge, for I have learned that they don't know anything. And we're on page 102 at 75%. I know more than they all. Journal of Discourses, volume 2, page 166. Joseph had this advice for lawyers. And all ye lawyers who have no business only as you hatch it up, would to God you would go work or go to work or run away. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page three hundred and twenty nine. Apparently one of the worst anti Mormons was a lawyer. The most feared and hated anti Mormon in Illinois was Thomas Cole Sharp. 
a native of New Jersey, trained as a lawyer, Sharp was editor of the rabid anti-Mormon Warsaw Signal. And uh, that's recorded in the words of Joseph Smith by E. Hatton Cook, page 138. One problem with lawyers today is their determination to win for their clients at all costs, regardless of truth or justice. And lawyers will stand before a jury for hours telling them how innocent his client is, all the time knowing that he is guilty. At that point, he becomes a liar instead of a lawyer. The prophet also noticed this and said, quote, I say unto you, lawyers, for your whole study is to put down truth and put a lie in its stead. I want the lawyers to know that we have what we have in common. I want the lawyers to know that we have common sense. They want to make you believe that either... uh, I'm sorry. They want to make you believe that when you spell baker, it clearly, clearly means cider or whiskey. Now let the lawyers and doctors alone and leave off bitterness and evil speaking and you will build the temple and get an endowment. By the way, the endowment was meant to be an endowment of power and the fullness of the priesthood, not some play that taught them something about something. Anyway, all you lawyers go away and let, let us alone and when you get full of the devil and want you, we will send for you we may then have more convenient having more convenient season. Anyway, that's recorded in the Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume Seven, page two hundred and fifty eight. And we're at page one oh three at eighty two percent. Having been brought into court fifty times, the prophet had plenty of occasion to observe lawyer tactics and he gradually become, became more outspoken against them, as did his brother Hiram. President Hiram Smith, Smith arose and made a few remarks. He compared the lawyers to pollywogs, wigglers, and toads. He said they would dry up next fall. Those characters, I presume, were made in gizzard-making time, when it was cheaper to get gizzards than souls, For if a soul costs $5, a gizzard would cost nothing. Like tree toads, they change color to suit the object that they are upon. They ought to be as ferreted out like rats. You could describe them as you would a hedgehog. They are in every hedge, stinking like the skunk. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 6, page 240. And that was Hiram Smith. Brother Joseph Smith expressed the same sentiments, although not quite so graphic. Quote, I will transpose and simplify it in, e- in the English language. O ye lawyers, ye doctors, ye priests who have been persecuting me, I want to let you know that the Holy Ghost knows something as well as you do. Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page 5. Joseph had been an unwilling party to more lawsuits than any common criminal, yet nothing could be found against him. 
where the law and the lawyers could not silence him, then they felt that other measures had to be taken. Lyman Littlefield recounts, quote, This was the 49th time Joseph had been in the custody of his enemies to answer trumped-up charges and malicious charges from which he had in every case been set at liberty. For the reason that, as he had violated no law, nothing could be sustained against him. But the 50th and last arrest was soon to follow with a deeper and far more subtle intention of violence than ever was before intended on the part of his enemies. A little more time and the schemer of maliciousness, plotters aided by an apostate and wicked elements would have reached the acme of of merciless venality. We're on page 104 at 90%. And the papers would be served to place him in prison where powder and ball would do the fatal work, for which no protecting shadow of law could be found upon any of the statutes of this country. Lyman Littlefield, Reminiscence, page 129. See also the book called The Martyrs by Littlefield, page 106 and 107. Littlefield went on to describe the character of Joseph Smith, quote, No man has ever lifted a voice on the American continent who has more strongly imbued with all of the doctrines and provisions of the Constitution than was this man, and none have ever been more universally maligned and misrepresented. He loved this as the country of his birth and was revered the memory of those patriots who established a free and independent government upon this land. And quote the martyrs, page 105, or no, 108. See, and remember, Joseph Smith was born December 23rd of 18, uh, 1805. The, the, the people who founded the the Declaration of Independence was still alive. Like the people who fought in the Revolutionary War, they were not that old. It was not long after the 1880s that that Joseph Smith, or 1780s rather, that Joseph Smith was born. He was born in a time when he knew uh, Revolutionary War heroes. And he heard about them, and he knew about them, and they were still alive. Heck, um, Thomas Jefferson and Adam uh, Adams, uh, I can't remember, his, he was the third president of the United States, or maybe the second. Adams and Jefferson, I mean, they were alive when... The gospel was restored. They were still alive when the Book of Mormon came forth. Continuing on. But even after the martyrdom of Joseph and Hiram, the persecution of the saints by the legal system went on and on and on. It will be discussed further in connection with politicians of the Kingcraft section which is the next section after lawyer craft, 
as Brigham Young identified the worst offenders in law-breaking as being both the lawyers and the politicians. We have the proof on hand that instead of the laws being honored, they have been violated in every instance of persecution against this people. Instead of the laws being made honorable, they have been trampled under the feet of lawyers, judges, sheriffs, governors, legislatures, and nearly all of the officers of the government. Such persons are the most guilty of breaking the laws. Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 311, and we're on page 105, and we're at 97%. So um, if we do go to open lines tonight, it just depends on if people call. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. Do not give me your last name. You can give me your first name and where you're calling from. And then you can come on with your question or statement. Or on page 105 if you're reading along. What familiar sense of lawyer craft throughout history abusing their trade and implementing unjust, unfair, and even wicked practices for personal gain, lying to protect their clients, etc. How could such men of great learning support, sustain, and personally become involved in persecutions and condemning good, innocent people? How could such professional men stoop so low as to be the source of the killing of ancient prophets, the death of the, of the Savior, and the martyrdom of Joseph and Hiram Smith. Why? Because lawyer craft is such a powerful and lucrative business. So anyway, that's that. Uh, we'll go to the live portion of the radio program now. If you want to read this for yourself, please look at the link in the description of this podcast or internet radio show. You will find the link to read it, the text, without all my commentary for yourself in the, in the description and the link of this podcast or radio program. So thank you for listening. Once again, real quick, the phone number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. And if you're looking for the chat room, the chat room is at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Thank you for listening to the program. Okay, well, I guess the uh, recorded portion of the program is over with. My wife was just trying to ask me a bunch of questions off air, so I didn't notice when it ended. Well, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. I am sick right now, but um, I'm just sitting here, and... Uh, I can take questions or comments. We also have a chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Zion's Redemption Radio Network. And I will check that in just a minute. 
I think um, I wanted to share with everyone some things that Joseph Smith talked about. Um, that have to do with myself. Um, I'll just, uh, I'll read them here. This is uh, recorded in Salt Lake City Bookcraft, 1997. Um, Joseph Smith Encyclopedia of Joseph Smith's Teachings, edited by Larry E. Dahl and Donald Q. Cannon. Joseph, Joseph Smith once said that the Holy Ghost is yet a spiritual body and is waiting to take himself a body and do as the Savior did. So, a lot of people want to say that Joseph Smith is God the Witness. Um, but if he was God the Witness, in DNC section 130, Jesus wouldn't tell Joseph Smith that God the Witness doesn't have a body at that time, that he has a spirit, a spirit body. And uh, some people will throw that under the bus and say that it was uh, made up by the person. I can't remember what his name is. He, he wrote a bunch of diaries uh, for Joseph Smith. He was somebody who wrote down certain things, and they want to try to throw him under the bus to try to throw that away but then they will go to the lecture at the Grove where basically Joseph Smith says the same thing, that the Holy Ghost or God the Witness is a spirit being and does not have a body of flesh and bones at that time. That was true. Another place, um, and this is in The Words of Joseph Smith, page 245, The Sabbath Address, Nauvoo, the 27th of August, 1843, as reported by Franklin D. Richards. The Holy Ghost is now in a state of probation, which if he should perform in righteousness, he may pass through the same or similar course of things that the Son has. So because these words don't really match up with our modern vernacular, uh, people will say, oh, that means that Joseph Smith is in a state of probation and that he is the Holy Ghost, which contradicts the lecture at the Grove and Doctrine and Covenants section 130, where at that time Joseph Smith had a body, yet Jesus Christ is saying that God the Witness or the Holy Ghost does not have a body of flesh and bones at that time. The Holy Ghost is now in a state of probation, which if he should perform in righteousness, he may pass through the same or similar course of things that the Son has. So they want to say because it says that the Holy Ghost is in a state of probation that that means that um, that means that that the Holy Ghost is in a state of mortal probation, but that's not right. I, that's a misunderstanding of what the different probations are. So you have your first probation and your second probation your first estate and your second estate, they're the same things. When we were given a choice between the plan of salvation and the plan of damnation, we entered into a state of spiritual probation before our, our mortality. It was our first probation or our first estate. When we come into the mortality, we enter into our second estate or our second 
probation. So the Holy Ghost can be in a spiritual probation without a mortal body. And that does not contradict either of these statements. But what does contradict Scripture is when people want to say that Joseph Smith is God the witness. Because Joseph Smith was told by Jesus Christ himself, and he taught it in section 130 and in the lecture at the Grove, that the Holy Ghost at that time did not have a spirit or did not have a mortal body. But Joseph did say that the Holy Ghost is yet a spiritual body and is waiting to take himself a body, meaning a physical body, as the Savior did. And then in another place, Joseph Smith said the Holy Ghost is now in a state of probation, which if he should perform in righteousness, he may pass through the same or similar course of things that the Son has. Well, when the Holy Ghost comes in his mortality and he does the things that he needs to do, he will pass through the same or similar things that Jesus has in the fact that when he does finally appear in Jerusalem, that he will teach, that he will do things that uh, that Jesus did, he will be put to death, he will lay in the streets for three days and three nights in the open. And on the third day, he will be resurrected and be taken up off the earth. And in Revelation chapter 11, it says that these two witnesses, remember what Joseph Smith said the title of God the Witness was? Uh, It's God the Witness. You have God the Creator, who is the Father, God the Redeemer, that's Jesus, and God the Witness, or the Holy Ghost. So you have a witness with his witness being put to death in the streets for three days and three nights and the whole world, it says the whole world will see it. And I asked the father why it was necessary for the witness to lay in the streets for three days and three nights. And he said, because they are going to be left without excuse. And then he revealed, or he, he talked about how with his son, they took him down off the cross, they wrapped him up in the burial uh, clothing, and they put him in the, uh, the tomb of Arimathea, and he was resurrected in the tomb, and nobody saw it. I mean, some people saw the aftermath of that. There were angels there that said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. But so far as we know, there was nobody who actually witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ in mortality. But with the two witnesses, they will be put to death in the street. On, and on the third day, they will be raised again from the dead. And they will be taken up off of the earth at that point. And in Revelation chapter 12, it says that 
that that man-child, that is God's awareness, will be taken up to God and he will be placed in his throne next to God because he is God's witness, come in the flesh. See, God the creator, the father, he helped create this earth under the direction of Jehovah our Elohim. If you've been through the temple endowment, you know that the one who helped create this earth was Michael, who took upon himself the name of Adam to honor God the Eternal Father, whose name is Adam. Amen. Jehovah directed Michael how to create the earth, and then Michael did it. He named all of the animals. He named all of the plants. He came down on this earth as a resurrected being because he was a redeemer on an older earth. And on that older earth, he became the father the same way that Jesus becomes our father today in this mortal probation. When Jesus paid for our sins in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he sealed that upon the cross, and we become his through the law of adoption because we accept him and he accepts us, he becomes our father, yet we have a father above him. In Revelation chapter 1, it talks about how Jesus Christ hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. My wife is looking at me right now. What I'm on the phone call. What are you looking at? <coughs> anyway, I'm, I'm sick. I've been sick for a couple of days. And it's just getting worse, so hopefully it'll be over with soon. It says that there's no card showing. I have no idea. So I had to take my wife to pick up um, uh, a district car so that she could drive a bunch of her and her friends up to Salt Lake tomorrow in the district car. So uh, I'm sitting in my car next to uh, her car. And she was just picking up some groceries. Anyway, but um, the God, the creator, is Michael. He is the father. He was our redeemer on an older earth. And he became our father the same way that Jesus Christ becomes our father. But there are fathers above and fathers below. Oh, thank you. My wife picked me up some medicine for my... uh, my cold here. <laughs> anyway, I'll take it later. So anyway, but um, so you've got God the Creator, who is God, 
the father. That that's Joseph Smith. He taught these things. Um, then you have God the Redeemer, and that's Jesus Christ, and He becomes the Father through the law of adoption. Thank you. Oh. Okay, I'm only doing one. <laughs> yeah, I got some nasal spray. Kim, Kim got me some nasal spray. Anyway, but then you have God the Redeemer, and so basically you have three different offices. Uh, and they are called uh, the morning star, the first sun of the morning, and the second sun of the morning, or the morning star who comes in the morning of the history of a mortal uh, telestial earth. You've got the bright morning star, and that's Jesus, and he comes in the morning of the history of, not in the morning, but in the afternoon of the history of an earth, that's Jesus. So you've got Adam, who's the morning star, and Jesus, who is the uh, the the uh, bright morning star. And then you have God, the witness, who is the Holy Ghost, who comes at the very end of the celestial state of the earth. And uh, here I am with my witness and all the things going through my mortal probation. Anyway, let me just... Um, I'm probably going to end this program because uh, I need to get going anyway. But if we have any guest callers, then that would be fine. But it doesn't look like we do. And uh, don't have anybody in chat. Yeah, there's nobody there. (coughs) Excuse me. And I have to walk. Follow my wife so that uh, we can get gas. All right. Well, I think we're just going to be done with the program for today since we don't have any callers and we don't have anybody asking questions. So uh, let me just find the end music. Eh, Well, I guess we can play this. I'll play the Book of Pontiac. Here we go. The Book of Paniel. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Paniel is his name. Wherefore the sword is that of the four winds used by Moses in the destruction of those wicked Anakim who infested the land. Wherefore this shall be the preface of his book which shall come forth by the hand of the Almighty and woe be unto him who shall mock this work, for it has been set forth by the hand of God. Wherefore, it is the record of Paniel as he and his people traveled or traveled from the land of Assyria northward, even unto the land of Magog. Wherefore, they are of my people Israel, and Paniel shall stand with his posterity upon Mount Zion, and be counted with the gods. For such he hath entered through his faithfulness, by the grace of Christ, even Adam God, 
looking forward unto his son Jesus and admonishing his own sons in righteousness, wearing the tunic of the holy priesthood and traveling through the land of Danta. This is the word of the Lord unto thee, my son Samuel, and also Yaroslav. Be patient and sober, looking forward unto this account, which shall come forth in mine own due time, even so. Amen. The words of Paniel, or the first, uh, or first Paniel, chapter 1, verse 1. Behold, my name is Paniel, the son of Abizel, son of Beresek, son of Isaac, son of Amos the prophet, who is also the father of Isaiah the prophet. Wherefore I am compiling this record of my father, and also preparing the book that mine sons may write. Verse 2. And I do write it in Reformed Egyptian, as was the custom among the school of the prophets in the land of Jerusalem. Verse 3. And it being a more pure language, having been reformed back to the best of our knowledge to conform with the language of our fathers, as found upon the pillars of Enoch. Verse 4. And I, Paniel, do raise my hands and confess my sins before the gods of heaven, but I am a sinful man. Verse 5. And I am true, I truly lament my sins that I am cast down into the depths of humility, even before my Elohim. Verse 6. And I was a prisoner in everlasting chains, save for mine faith and belief that my Savior would come, not only to me, but also to my people. Verse 7. Wherefore, I have been lifted up to see the ineffable glory of God's kingdom and the taste of his goodness and mercy. And great and powerful is my God, for he hath willed it. Chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass that I arose early in the morning and climbed Mount Medela in the land of Assyria, even unto the summit thereof. Verse 2. And there an angel of the Lord spoke with me from behind the veil, and saith, verse 3, My fellow servant, this day hath the Lord called thee up unto this place by the whisperings of his Spirit, that you might be his messenger unto the far places, even unto the wandering tribes of Israel, who hath in the past been carried off for their own good, and that of their posterity. Verse 4. Therefore, praise the Lord God of hosts, the Almighty, for thus I was sent from his presence to tell thee. Verse 5. Wherefore, being in astonishment at the words of the angel, I remained upon the mount and built an altar according to the direction found in the law and praise of the Lord as I was instructed. Verse 6. And he heard the voice of the Lord call me by name in the night, saying, Paniel, Israel hath provoked me to anger, wherefore I have led her off by the neck. And thou hast never at any time seen the land of Jerusalem, nor thy father before me. 
before thee. But this is according to my design, for behold, look in yonder heavens and see the stars, if thou can number them. Verse 7. Israel shall live in one house, like unto a canopy of heaven, but she shall not return into the land of Jerusalem, nor shall her sons consider it, for it is the land of death and judgment. But I shall make it, make for her a new Jerusalem, which shall be the land of life and mercy. Chapter 3, verse 1. And the word of the Lord continued with me most of the night and unfolded many mysteries unto me. Verse 2. And the Lord saith, There are many heavens and many degrees. And I have made mine elect children a degree above the angels in authority. Verse 3. Wherefore, call them forth with mine ineffable names, and according to the signs and patterns of the priesthood, and surely they will obey thee. Verse 4. Now I, Paniel, said, O Lord, mine Father in heaven, shall I live to see the erection of the holy, thy holy temple, whereby, whereby I may fully be endowed, and my children also? And the Lord said, saith, verse 5, Thou shalt receive thine endowments upon the mountain tops, if ye remain steadfast in my law, ye shall even have a blessing at mine hand. Verse 6. For ye must have faith not only in the coming of mine son to the people, but also in mine coming unto thee to redeem thee. Verse 7. And this is the temple of God. And I, Paniel, looked, and behold, the vision was opened up before mine eyes, and I shall recount it. Chapter 4. Verse 1, I saw a court full of the beings of light. The walls thereof seemed to be made of bright gold, and the height thereof exceedingly great. Verse 2, Also the ground seemed to be made of precious stones, and these beings were continually singing praises unto the Lord of glory. Verse 3, And the voice of the Lord saith, This is the court of the priests of Aaron who are eunuchs before me. Therefore, come forth and see greater hidden things. Verse 4. Behold, I was then brought to the gate between the two pillars, which are keywords and signs. And the angel with me gave three knocks upon the right one. Verse 5. And the guardian of the door saith, All ye Aaronic priests, have heard the ringing of the keyword, and do ye have the report before the Lord? Verse 6. And I heard one say, He is a just man, and passeth the ordinances of our order, and can have half the key, but the other half has not been revealed. Verse 7. The guardian then saith, He shall receive it, and a token and a key were administered. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now it came to pass that he looked upon the left, and a key was given. And he looked upon the gate, and a key was given. And the Spirit ushered me through into the holy place. Verse 2. And now I, Paniel, did perceive that this was indeed the heavenly temple, from which 
the Lord of hosts did send forth his decrees. Verse 3. For behold, when the gate did open, the light was so brilliant that it made all else look as darkness, and it was only opened but a small portion. Verse 4. And I was taken down this hall of light until I came to a grand council room with many other rooms pertaining to the ordinances of the house of the Lord. Verse 5. Wherefore I saw the altar of incense, where upon the prayers, the prayers of the saints are continually ascending up through the bell to the Lord of hosts. Verse 6. And I saw many brethren in the robes of the priesthood, but I did also notice that there were many more women than men, verse 7, and that the women were worshipping under veils of many different colors, singing in tongues and praising the Lord of glory, chapter 6, verse 1. Wherefore I raised up my hands, wherefore I raised my hands up and prayed, saying, O Father, that I could only be counted worthy to be among these here praising thy name forever. Verse 2. And the voice of the Lord saith, Thou knowest not what thou sayest. For behold, there is a level more glorious and powerful than this. Verse 3. For this place which thou hast entered is the Melchizedek level, but thou shalt be permitted, if faithful, to see the patriarchal level which is full of the mysteries of the Elohim, verse 4. And the angels are not permitted to see it, because they have made limitations in their minds, attempting to bind me, the Lord of hosts, down from eternal progression, for they know me not, verse 5. Now I was permitted to see the veil of the temple, and how the signs thereof shone with light and glory, and did make such an impression upon my mind that I cannot forget them. And I know all truth is one, and that the left arm of the law leads to eternal glory. Verse 6. And the vision was ended, and I and said I, Cursed is he that attempteth to bind the Lord, for he doth not know the God which he doth worship. And spiritually minded, and the spiritually minded shall inherit eternal life. Verse 7. For what profiteth the judgment and mercy of the two priesthoods if they have not the honor of searching out knowledge and wisdom on all matters? For this is the honor of kings, to know and exercise truth, which is the honor and the fullness of the priesthood, even that patriarchal priesthood of the Father which the angels have shut out from their own minds. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now do I know my, now do I know mine Savior shall come to me personally if I press forward without wavering. Verse 2. Even the Son of Jehovah, even or he who is in the Garden of Eden, shall come and anoint me if I am faithful. And also the Son of the Son of Jehovah shall come to my people of the lost tribes of Israel. Of this I bear a particular testimony. Verse 3. And oh, what ecstasy doth fill me with, doth, or this doth fill me with, 
to know that God ruleth in the heavens with the scepter of power, and that the King of glory is mindful of me. Verse 4. Who am simply a sinful outcast of Israel, whose fathers have paid tribute to the Assyrian kings as serfs upon the land. Verse 5. And I, just a lowly shepherd who walk up in a mountaintop and exercise the faith in the God of my fathers, am shown these things. Oh, what a merciful God is the God of Israel. Verse 6. And now I will compile unto this book a more particular account of my fathers, of how my fathers came to this place and how some of my people have rebelled against Assyria, calling themselves the sons of Isaac, verse 7, and how they have migrated into the east and have wandered from time to time with the Medes, and how they are wander a wandering people going to and fro in the earth, and how some have also gone into the northern countries. Thus I end mine own story for a time. And that is the book of Poniel. Okay, so that's the book of Poniel, oh, which is a book that I did not receive myself. Uh, there was another seer who received that. I've actually never received a book of translation. Um, like God has revealed to me that I will eventually, and that he has a lot for me. Um, but one of the problems with me is, um, I'm so distracted by trying to make sure I have all of the money and all of the things that I need to, to have that I just don't have time. I mean, I have uh, a bunch of stuff. I'm on the show. The, the recording part that I was listening to ended. I'm going to go home in a minute. I'm just going to finish this. I will see you at the house. We have phones. If you have a problem, call me. Okay, see you there. Okay. Anyway... We're in Price, Utah, and uh, I came out here to drop my wife off so that she could get this district car, and uh, we just got fuel in her car, which I'll be using for the next couple of days. Anyway, but, um, like, I have the book of Lehi, but it's unabridged, and there's a lot of stuff in it that needs to, uh, it's not, it doesn't pertain to our day at all. There's a lot. Like, it's huge. And uh, I don't have time to uh, to go through it and, and uh, edit it, basically. You know, and then um, God made it known to me that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of records that he has for me. But I, like, this, it frustrates me to no end. So we have a whole bunch of uh, people who will... Uh, jump on to other Zoom calls and radio shows and and podcasts 
and uh, like I get people listening, but it's not a lot, and nobody calls in. Like, so there's that. So I kind of feel like I'm doing this, and I know some people are like, "Oh, we really like it when you do the program." So we love listening to it. It was so great. But like, when somebody else like call or like does a program, like you've got over 100 callers and like I'm just talking about Phil Davis and his uh, his podcast his Zoom call radio program you know and like I've been doing this for a long time and like I'm treated as a thing of not people don't they, they like some of the content but they think oh you surely couldn't be who you think you are even though I'm not the one that came up with those things God showed me who I was who I am <laughs> you know and uh, and then I get the devil hitting me all, all the time uh, through these weak minded people and uh, I don't have I have a crappy job now like I make less than any of the uh, any of the other coal haulers out here all of them like even Savage, which is the the people who have the contract, they pay their drivers more per round. And they also have benefits and bonuses and all these other things. But I don't get any of that. I get a straight rate that's about $10 a load less than any of the other companies. And um, the only reason I stick with the guy that I'm with right now is because he doesn't care about what I say about myself. He knows. All he cares about is me hauling loads and he pays me money for the loads that I haul. I go anywhere else and people got to be down my throat about what I talk about on this program and in social media and the things that I believe that have nothing to do with my ability to drive a truck safely. I've been driving a semi-truck for over 27 years. If you count the farm work that I did back you know, in 94, like when I was 16. You know, um, my first truck driving job was, uh, they gave me the keys to a 1945 deuce and a half that was in a potato cellar. They gave me a flashlight, and they said, go go get that truck and bring it. I said, I've never driven a stick shift. Oh, you'll learn. That was it. That was my training. You know, and then um, in 94, uh, I started after the, the potato harvest was over. I started a degree in advanced diesel mechanics at Job Corps. <laughs> Excuse me, in October of 94, and then in the spring of 96, I completed my degree and uh, in 95 when I was like not very long after I turned 18 I got my class A CDL with intrastate restrictions so between the ages of 18 to 21 I wasn't allowed to go intrastate which means I can go out of state um, and I, I drove a produce truck up and down the Wasatch Front and up into Cash Valley Valley to all these grocery stores and delivered produce. And that was my job. Uh, well, that was my job until I got 
sick, and then I lost that job, and I, I and eventually ended up being homeless. But oh, it was a mess. But anyway, um, when I came home from my mission, I started driving truck, and because uh, I didn't really have anywhere else to go, so I always just joke that truck drivers are the highest paid, highest paid homeless people in the world. Because, like, a lot of us, we just lived in our trucks. We didn't have anywhere. I mean, when you're out on the road for three or four weeks and they give you one day off per week, and that's not at a time. Like, if you're out on the the road for seven days, they accrue you one day of day off. If you go out for three weeks, then you have three days off in your bank account, basically. So... So if you decide to go home at the end of three weeks, you're off for three days, and then you go back on the road. What's the point in having a place, uh, a uh, a place to live? If, if you're a single truck driver, <laughs> a lot of these guys they might go visit family on their days off. Uh, they might just go on vacation. Like a lot of times, I would uh, be out for two or three weeks, and. Uh, I would get over there to Joplin, Missouri when I worked for CFI and they'd say, where do you want to go? And I'd tell them and get a load there and I would say, okay, when I get there, taking days off, I'm going sightseeing. So I got to choose where I, what big city I went to and then I would, uh, I'd go sightseeing, <laughs> go on vacation or whatever. My favorite was New York. Um, just across from New York. Hold on. Hello? That is so weird. Phone call. Okay, I don't know what happened there, but my uh, phone connected to the car that I'm in. Anyway, what I was saying is, um, like, I would, I didn't have anywhere to live, basically. So, um, but the whole point of me talking about um, all of these things is that I've been driving a truck for 27 years, give or take a little bit, because I did go on my mission. And then um, I've had a few short periods where I just didn't get a job. Uh, unemployment, basically, for uh, the winter months, like when I did construction trucking, because uh, you don't lay asphalt in the summer, or in the wintertime, <laughs> not in Utah. Anyway, but um, but I, for, you know, all of these years, 20-something years, I have a clean driving record. I have no accidents. On my driving record, I got hit one time by another semi-truck when I was stopped at a red light, and I'm still suffering for that, and that happened 21 years ago, you know, which which hurts me. It makes it hard for me to, to drive a truck for long periods of time because of the vibrations and the nerve damage that I sustained in that accident. And then um, when I was in the oil field, um, 
My wife's trying to call me. Anyway, um, when I was in the oil field, I got I slipped into a chemical pond and got poisoned, and I got really sick because of it, and I still deal with problems because of that as well. So, like, yeah, I do have these these beliefs and these things I talk about, but that shouldn't uh, stop me from having a decent job, but it does. And so, like, these people that are like, oh, you should never ask for money. You should never you know, priestcraft or get rich off of whatever, like I'm getting blackballed and it's affecting my life because I'm doing what God has asked me to do. And not only do I not get any help from any of you out there, but I don't even get you coming onto the program to talk about these things, to like ask questions or just whatever, you know, like thanks for doing the program or anything. I get nothing. Every time I do these programs, there is a live open call every single time where people can call in. And there's people out there, they love my programs, but none of them come on the line. It doesn't cost anybody anything to come on the line, and nobody does it. I've got a chat room, and I've been paying for these things for years And so why is it that I am frustrated and I don't want to do these things anymore? Well, partly it's because nobody responds to it. Not in a good way. The only response I get is, oh, you're crazy. I'm not going to hire you. You know how many jobs I've lost because of these, these programs? And now I'm lucky to have a job making $1,500 less a month, which means I have to work more to, like, pay my bills, which my wife is upset about right now. Like, we don't make enough. Like, I can work six days a week, and we don't make enough. (coughs) Excuse me. And, like, I'm sick right now, so she's like, you're not even working right now. You're sick. Yeah, I'm sick, okay? I'm sorry that I'm sick. It wouldn't be a big deal if I made the money that I need to make. But I get harassed at work because of my beliefs to the point where it's untenable untenable for me to, uh, to remain. And if I went to work for Savage and they found out what my beliefs are because this crap gets around, then I don't have a job in the area. Oh, and then I get to go over the road, never see my family again. And, you know, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to fix this problem because, like, I can't expect anybody to help me out because, oh, that's priestcraft, you know? But God won't help me out either. Like, I've been told to do these things, and I feel like I get no support. Not from in heaven or on earth below. 
you know, and I'm glad that some people like this program. And apparently I, I did get fifth place as far as podcasters go, but you know what the difference is? Every single other one of those podcasts has revenue coming in. I have never had revenue come in off of these things, and I've been doing this since 2014. Anyway, so once again, nobody has called in, and we're about 50 seconds away from the end of the program. So I'm just going to play the end music, and uh, thanks for listening if you're listening. Thank you for sharing it if this is something beneficial to you. I think that we're almost done. Like, I hope that we're almost done. Uh, Monday is supposed to be a bank holiday, and there's supposed to be a crash after that. But if that doesn't happen, I mean, whatever happens, I don't care, one way or the other. Anyway... All right, well, I'll try to get some stuff done for Monday, Wednesday, and Friday next week as well. So take care, everyone. God bless. Goodbye.
With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.